Thank you for listening to this message from Flow Church, a brand new church plant in the city of Melbourne, Australia. We pray that this word will help you experience and express the goodness of God in every sphere and season of life. Today, the key scripture that I'm going to be looking at is actually on the bookmarks that you should have found on your seats. And that's Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. Before I, before I read this passage um, together with all of us, I just want to give us a little bit of context for this passage. So this is taking place about 600 years before the birth of Christ. Um, The prophet Jeremiah was addressing Israelites in the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, And he was sent by God actually to to rebuke them because they were not doing well. Um, The nation of Judah basically has in large part become idolatrous. Um, They've started worshipping other Canaanite gods including Baal and Asherah. And this is not just about turning away from Yahweh but actually participating in pretty in like pretty abominable practices. They started participating in things like temple prostitution and child sacrifices. Uh, and, and Yahweh also was upset with them for their treatment of the poor and the marginalized, um, challenging them about the way they treated the widow, the orphan and the foreigner. And so when Yahweh sent um, Jeremiah to speak to the nation of Judah, to the Israelites, um, this is the context in which he's speaking into. And so we're reading from verse 5. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and makes flesh their strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. They are like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. They shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no fear in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, I want to title my message, um, Root to Flourish. And this is not just the title of my message, but it's also actually the theme for the majority of our year. So we're actually going to be looking at what it means to be rooted to flourish. And this is primarily based on verses 7 and 8 that talks about how people who put their trust in God is like a tree that is um, fruitful and flourishing, not just during good times and when things are easy, but actually producing fruit um, during times of heat and drought. And apparently it's going to be 36 degrees today, which is like really, really intense. Um, We have a saying at Flow Church is that our aim is to cultivate an environment where all people can flourish. But more importantly, we want to cultivate a people that can flourish in all environments. We want to cultivate an environment where all people can flourish, yes. But more importantly, we want to cultivate a people who can flourish in all environments. 
When we gather together on a Sunday, it is awesome. We definitely want to have an amazing experience together. We want people to come in and feel really welcome. We want people to encounter the presence of God and feel like when they, when they came here, it was worth their time. And yes, we want to cultivate an environment. But actually, it's just as important what we ultimately do on the Monday to the Saturdays. Um, you know, for many of us, we might be the only Christian or the only follower of Jesus in our context, in our workplace, in our families. And the question is not just about whether we're living a life of faith and faithfulness when we gather, but are we living a life of faith and faithfulness when we scatter out in the world? I'm a purveyor of TikTok videos. I'm an appreciator of the tickety talks. Um, I'm more of a consumer and a lurker than a creator, um, unlike um, Sarah Clark, who's amazing, millions of views. Um, and then we, she creates the content, but we have the talent also over at the back. <laughs> Um, but there was a video that came across my, uh, my, my For You page this week that I think um, aptly captures an, um, you know, what verses 7 and 8 represent. So we're going to have a look at that video. Oh my god, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. This is a trunk and tree grew all the way through the stop sign. <laughs> How amazing it is. <laughs> Crazy, it's unbelievable. Wow. That's pretty cool, right? That's a pretty, that's a pretty, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or the mysterious algorithm that brought it across my For You page, but I think it is a very effective sermon illustration um, that really represents what verses 7 and 8 um, talks about. Um, I think it is really cool to see a tree break through in a really, really hostile environment, you know? Uh, you know, we're harming the environment, but the environment fights back, you know? And there's literally all the signs saying no, that there is not actually a possibility for this tree to survive and to flourish. And I think this video should encourage us, you know, with the music of Journey and Don't Stop Believing. And verses 7 and 8 actually should make us want that kind of flourishing for ourselves and for our community. That we want um, to be people that is able to be fruitful, not just during the wet seasons when rain is abundant, but we want to be a people that is fruitful um, when times are hard and times are challenging. And to be a people, there I say, prosper under pressure. Um, I'm trying to be topical and, you know. <laughs> The, the, but, okay, but the truth is prosperity, prosperity has become a little bit of a tab, taboo word. I think it's, a, it's I personally uh, sometimes wonder whether that's the word to actually use in these kind of circumstances. And the reason why the word prosperity and, and even like concepts like blessing has been become a bit of a taboo um, terms to use is because there are people who have actually kind of taken those terms too far and um, have actually abused and misrepresented what those things mean um, and sometimes with sincere and good intentions but you can caricature God um, when reading the Bible as like a cosmic jackpot machine and that if you just like pull the handle in a particular way that Cadillacs will just rain down from the sky you know that that's how people represent certain um, the way God works 
But if we actually do um, a, a, a quick scan of the Bible, we need to know that our discomfort sometimes with using terms like prosperity and blessing is actually um, not biblical because these are Bible words. Like before there were prosperity gospel preachers who came along to talk about these things, these were God's ideas. If you just do a quick search in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that God actually loves to prosper and to bless his people and indeed all of creation. A great example is the author of 3 John um, who opens their letter with this greeting. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prosper. Can you imagine um, receiving a letter that opens like that or an email that opens like that? Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in good health just as your soul prosper. I also regret to inform you that your job application has been unsuccessful. <laughs> kind regards, John from HR. But we look at this particular verse and many other verses across scripture, and we see that it is actually okay for Christians to desire blessing and prosperity for ourselves and for other people. Because this is what the writer of John 3 was saying. It's like they desire blessing and prosperity for the recipient of that letter. And indeed, we see that God desires these things um, for his people and for all of us. So firstly, we need to recognize that blessing, prosperity, flourishing, that these are actually um, biblical and Bible words, and these are God's ideas. But it's also equally important to recognize that maybe God's idea of blessing and prosperity is not necessarily the same as our idea of blessing and prosperity. Indeed, God often deems what the world would regard as lowly, despised, and unfortunate, and he will call these things as blessed. So we see in the Beatitudes, contrary to what ex people would have expected, he says that the poor in spirit was blessed. He said that those who were mourning were blessed. He said that the persecuted are blessed. Then he teaches in the Gospels that to be great in the kingdom of heaven, that we have to make ourselves lowly like a servant or like a child. And then I, I, I you know, love, hate the verse in James that says, take pure joy in trials of all kinds because it is for your good, that this is the thing that is going to perfect you. So before all the, all the performance um, bros, um, there was James. You know, you say like, take it, pain is gain, you know, like the sweat is just weakness leaving your body or something like that you know all that kind of stuff um, and then um, in, 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 when, the, when, the, when the gospels open um, when the angel of the Lord appears to Mary and said you are blessed and highly favored what happened after was not that she got a car or she got a house. She got her life flipped upside down. She became an unwed teenage mother who suddenly had a very complicated relationship with her fiance. So her alpha pre-marriage course discussions went a little bit awkward. It was, it was, it was tough. It was tough, but they made it through um, with the help of Nikki and Sailor. Um, and um, later on, she became a political refugee on the run. Um, and there was no indication that her life was actually materially enriched for the honor of being the mother of God. This is who God calls blessed and highly favored. And the question for all of us is, would we recognize the blessing and favor of God if it showed up in our lives like it showed up in Mary's? Would that look like blessing and favor to us? 
The truth is, if most of us are honest, even those of us who have been followers of Jesus, we actually would equate the good life and therefore the blessed life with the accumulation of more. All of us might have different mores, but for some of us, it could be more wealth, more things, more experiences, more relationships, more power, more achievements, more holidays, just more. That if we had more of this in 2024, we would be like, this is a good year. Like, this is an awesome year. If I got more of this, this would be a great year. Because subconsciously, that is what we think the good life is. And if that's what we think the good life is, that's basically what we think the blessed life is. Because we're not thinking like James. It's like, whoa, more problems. Yes, more blessing. That is not how most of us think. But in the Gospels, Jesus challenges the no this notion of success and prosperity with the question, what profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What profits a man if he gains everything but loses his soul? In other words, God is saying that good things don't mean a thing if you don't have God. Good things don't mean a thing if you don't have God. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul would define blessing like this in Romans 4, 7, and 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. In other, word, in other words, um, Paul was echoing what the prophet Jeremiah was saying is, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. The apostle Paul and the prophet Jeremiah agree on what real blessing is. That ultimate blessing and ultimate flourishing is rooted in being in right relationship with God. Ultimate blessing and ultimate flourishing is rooted in being in right relationship with God. You see, the Christian understanding of um, flourishing is not necessarily that um, bad things um, don't happen. In fact, the Bible is very, um, the Bible acknowledges that we live in a fallen world, that there's evil in this world, that we are living in a time between now and not yet um, where there is both good and evil in this world. But what scripture does tell us is that not that evil does not happen, but that evil doesn't have the final say. That if we have God in our lives, we can ultimately believe that he can redeem all things for our good, whether in this life or in the life to come. On the other hand, scripture also does tell us that without God, all the good things that we can experience, which in and of themselves are not bad things, all the good things, even the great things in this world, will ultimately not satisfy. They might actually um, quench our tears for a little while, but in the long run, this is actually not going to satisfy us. The prophet Isaiah, about 100 years before the prophet Jeremiah, says this in, verse, um, in chapter 55, verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fear. And so as I read this verse, I want to put the question to all of us in this place and rephrase it a little bit. In 2024, are you spending money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Are you listening to God and eating what is good and delighting in the riches of fear? 
Another prophet that's a little bit more contemporary to our times, James Eugene Carey. Um, I think there's a picture of him. You might recognize him. Um, <laughs> this is something that he said when he was interviewed in 2005 by a Canadian newspaper. It says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that's not the answer. I think everybody should get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of and so they can see that that's not the answer. And what he said that is so profound and I think it actually, if we dig deep, we know that to be true, even though we may not necessarily want to, to admit that, because there sometimes can be a fantasy in our mind that if we achieve this thing, or if we acquire this thing, or if we, if we get this thing, that our life will be happy and we will finally be fulfilled. But then when we look at all the billionaires of the world, I don't know if they're really happier than we are. Like some of them seem a little bit more upset than we are. And, and they're trying to, they got everything on planet Earth. And so they're all competing to get to Mars. You know, it's like, it's like there is like always something else to compete for. And for all of us in this place, you're like, oh, I can't relate to Jim Carrey. He's got, you know, millions of dollars. He's got golden globes. He's got all these things. Maybe he's just an extra needy person and if I had what he had I would be happy I would be satisfied but the, the truth is, is that in the grand history of humanity we have all already in this room who live in Melbourne won the lottery it, not just in the day that we live in today but in the history of the world the kind of standard of living that all of us who live in Australia have is far above so much more than other people can think or imagine. So I looked at how much the minimum wage in Australia is right now, and it's about $46,000 a person. So if you earn the minimum wage, the absolute lowest wage in Australia, that would put you in the top 5% earners in the world. In other words, you will have made, if you are at the bottom, if you earn $46,000, you will earn more than 7.6 billion people in this world today. That is how far ahead you are. I don't know about you, but I still want more things. I still, I'm not looking behind me and be like, whoa, I'm glad I'm here. I'm like, actually, maybe I do need another keep cup with the, all the other keep cups that I have. That, that, that despite the fact that I live in an incredible country with awesome healthcare, with access to you know, clean drinking water, with access to, to education, with access to too many channels and too many shows to watch, I am not satisfied and I want more. And so if we have so many things already, what makes us think that if we, if we just get you know, a, a little bit more added to our net worth and we leapfrog just a couple more billion people that will be more satisfied if we're not already satisfied being ahead of 7.6 billion people. And once again, all these things aren't bad things, but all these things cannot ultimately satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. St. Augustine, who was quite a famous um, scoundrel and sinner prior to coming to know Jesus, um, I think it's in the, the third century, he said this profound thing, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. 
And basically what St. Augustine is, is saying is that you can chase after everything and basically echoing what Jesus says is you can gain the entire world, but if you do not have a relationship with God, that you will not ultimately be satisfied because we were made to be in relationship with God. And in preparing this message, it really made me reframe my year. I have so many goals. I've got fitness goals, want to do a half marathon, we'll see how we go. I've got health goals, you know, I've got financial goals. I may have relationship goals, we don't know. I have so... Okay, 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 okay. Now you clap. Now you clap. Now you clap. I have goals for our church. I have all these goals. I have all these goals. But you know what? I want my ultimate goal to be growing in my faith in Jesus. I want my ultimate goal to be a growth in my trust and confidence in Jesus. That if everything else doesn't just not happen and not improve, if everything else and I lost everything, but I, I get closer to Jesus, that that is what blessing looks like. That that is what flourishing looks like. That that is what success looks like. And it's because I don't want to live just for today. You know, in Proverbs it says, you know, um, Lord, teach us the number of days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. That ultimately, I don't want to be um, a person that keeps chasing for the things of this world that will ultimately perish. But I want to chase after the things that will last forever. And honestly, it seems like what the world has to offer, even from the very richest and the most famous and the most powerful, is like Botox and fillers and face filters and like everyone in their own way is trying to just like hold on and grip on for as long as possible. And that's not how I want to live. I want to live for the things that will count for eternity. And, and that's why I'm, I'm praying that we can be a community that prioritize our relationship with God. Not all these external things, um, not all, and even as, as, a, as a pastor, as a church, that is actually less important about the numbers of people that is added to our church than the number of people who are genuinely being discipled by Jesus, who are genuinely being in love with Jesus. That is my prayer for, for myself, and I hope that's a prayer for all of us. And, and, and so that's something that Jeremiah 17 teaches us, is that if we are going to be a people that is going to be called blessed, um, if we're going to be people that are rooted to flourish, then we need to be people that trust and have confidence in God. But Jeremiah 17 also teaches us um, a bunch of other things. And that if we're going to be people that actually uh, are going to trust God more, then we're also going to have to be people that learn to trust people less. So <laughs> this is a point. Don't trust people, um, but in small print, more than you trust God. <laughs> so I'm not saying don't trust people at all, um, but we can't actually give people the kind of trust that we give God. I know for myself over the last couple of years that because of my disappointment in people, that has actually shaken my confidence in God. The, my disappointment in people has shaken my confidence in God. And so it makes me have to reframe and kind of recalibrate. It's like, who did I actually make the foundation of my faith? Did I make God the foundation of my faith or did I make people the foundation of my faith? Instead of letting the disappointment in people actually shake our confidence in God, 
we should let the, our confidence in God restore our faith and love for people. Is that we can trust people because we believe that they are made in the image of God. That it goes back first to our love and our relationship with God and out of that overflow that we actually then are able to love other people. Um, it's easy um, to think in scripture that because God challenges us to love people, that it means, hey, we need to trust people unconditionally. But actually, if you look at scripture carefully, that's not the case. It talks about trusting God unconditionally. But with people, there are many, many conditions. Like if you look in Exodus, when Moses was trying to raise up elders, um, he was basically taught and he was teaching in scripture that only the ones who are qualified, who have proven themselves trustworthy, that they would be promoted. We also see that in the New Testament, when they were trying to raise up overseers and pastors, only the qualified were supposed to be trustworthy. Um, and even when we talk about prophets, it's like, oh, if they you know, mess up their prophecy, then we stone them. Like there's a lot of like, you know, we don't just give trust away. There's actually a lot of testing along the way. And so it doesn't mean that we don't trust people, but actually the trust that we give people is one that we give um, when they're proving themselves um, trustworthy. Um, and that just gives me... Uh, like it just gives me like a relief that 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 doesn't have to be the foundation of our faith like even the church i love the church a professional christian this is literally my job but it doesn't say that the church is the foundation of our faith it says that jesus is the cornerstone jesus is the cornerstone and the foundation of the church Underneath the church is Jesus. Jesus has to be the foundation. And we don't have to look to the show Prosper or any of your podcasts about, you know, this scandal or that scandal, all the kind of stuff. We just need to look at the Bible to see that there were broken people all the way from Genesis to Revelations. There were broken people all the way. The Bible is very honest with the, the brokenness and the, the frailty of humanity. And yet God still chose to love um, and believe in such individuals. And so the kind of trust that we have in people is not the kind of trust um, that, is, that, that if it was shaken, it's going to shake our faith. Because these kind of things have happened before and it will happen again. And you know, for some of us, we are the ones who have disappointed other people. We are some, sometimes we are the ones that have broken trust with other people and praise God that he has grace enough for us. And by, by dwelling on that grace, then we can have grace for other people. And so not don't trust people, but let us not put the kind of trust that we place upon God on people because God has always been in the business of using broken and flawed people um, to build um, his kingdom. So the other thing that we learned from Jeremiah 17 as well is um, if we're going to trust God more, then we need to trust our feelings less. So don't trust your feelings more than you trust God. Once again, it's not don't trust your feelings, all right? I'm going to reject um, my Asian upbringing to be like, no feelings, feelings bad. <laughs> no, I see, I see a counselor every month. It's good, it's good, it's good. Process your feelings. Um, there's a Catholic theologian called Charles Taylor who says that basically the West, West is very much in the grip of, of, a, of a culture of what he terms expressive individualism, right? You do you. You do you. Um, follow your heart. Trust your gut. Um, and it's, it, it sounds really good, you know? Be authentic. Be 100% you. The problem with expressive individualism and falling on feelings all the time is that sometimes your feelings will 
cause you to do good things. And sometimes your feelings will cause you to do terrible things. Um, my feelings often drive me towards um, the McDonald's drive through and I order um, a triple cheeseburger meal and I am just being true to myself. I am just owning my decisions and no one can tell me how to live because that is how I feel. Um, <laughs> I got an amen. <laughs> And there's often, I don't feel like going to the gym. The other day, I literally had to beat my body. Um, and, well, not literally beat my body, but I really had to like will myself to go for a run because I didn't want to go for a run. But if I was just following my feelings and just going with the you do you mentality, there will be many things that I will not accomplish. And the truth of the matter is that for us as followers of God and for us as humans, I think one of the reasons that makes us image bearers of God is that unlike animals, we have the capacity to rise above just our instincts and our appetites. And that doesn't mean to ignore your feelings or to dismiss your feelings. Do consider your feelings, but only follow God. So consider your feelings, but follow God. And when your feelings line up with the word of God and with the things of God, then let your feelings follow. But if your feelings don't, then let your desire to follow God dictate how your feelings um, go. Um, and, and that can be a challenging thing for, for, for this generation to, to actually hear. Um, but that's where we need to come to terms with, do we actually trust God or do we trust ourselves more? But if we want to be people that are blessed, then we need to be people that actually decide to follow God. Um, the final thing I wanted to, to share, because this is a process. I know that when we talk about being rooted to flourish and talking about following God, um, it can feel like, oh, I'm so far away from that. Um, and you know, like I'm, I'm so far away from actually being the kind of person that will follow God that way. But I think one of the things that we can do to begin with is to actually set our intentions um, that we will want to walk in that direction and that we're not going to be people that wants to be double-minded about this. And so once again, reading from Jeremiah 7, this is, again, a really challenging portion of the book um, where Jeremiah, um, where God is confronting the people through, the, through Jeremiah. So I'm going to read verses 2 to 4. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, say. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in the deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Let's go back to the previous slide first. So what this passage is saying who they're addressing are not the people who don't go to church. He's addressing churchgoers. He says, go to the house of the Lord in the temple and, and, and um, talk to the people who are actually going through these gates to worship the Lord. These are the people that he is addressing. And then next, um, next slide, verses 9 to 10. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow the other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? 
but I have been watching, declares the Lord. That is a sobering couple of verses that he wasn't addressing the people who don't go to church or the people that are outside. He's addressing the people within the church who are living double-minded lives and who are not living wholly devoted to the Lord. And this is not a verse that I'm pointing at you. This is a verse that I'm pointing at me. It's like, have I made things idols before the Lord? Or, or is God by himself enough? Or do I feel like I'm safe because I'm one of those that goes through the gates, worships God, declares that I'm in the house of the Lord and that I am safe? And even though this is a, this is a hard word, this is what scripture does preach in the Old and the New Testament, that God is actually real with us. And I felt challenged to, one, be challenged myself, but to challenge all of us in this place, that this can sound harsh and full of judgment, but actually, if we don't re recognize the reality of what's going on, we actually miss out on a life of joy and fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction. That we are actually chasing up all these things that don't ultimately satisfy and we miss out on having an incredible, vibrant relationship with God. Because we know that this is where God comes, but this is not the final tenor of, because everyone knows Jeremiah 29, right? Jeremiah 29. This is a verse that everyone quotes, even if they know, no, it's from Jeremiah 29, the place where the prophet comes and brings judgment. Jeremiah 29, verses 11, 13, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How often have we tried out Jeremiah 29, 11? Well, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you. A it is in the midst of a scolding. You know, like it's in the midst of like your parents just like yelling at you, you're terrible, da, 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 da. but you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, there's so much. Like, is it, like the, the, the message of hope is nestled in a whole bunch of rebuke, but ultimately it comes from a place of love and for your good and for my good. But it requires us to actually orient our lives and say, God, I want to want you. I want to want you. I want to live a blessed life that means being in relationship with you. And even if I can't go all the way because I'm human and I have to go on a process, on a journey, I want to take another step towards you. And so this is why this um, theme is going to be the theme for the rest of the year. Because I know if the disciples needed three years to be discipled and still at the end still betrayed Jesus and did a bunch of like silly things, that it actually is a process to, to go on a journey to be discipled by Jesus, it doesn't have to happen overnight. And even if the disciples kept making mistakes over and over again with Jesus as their coach, he still relents with grace and forgiveness for them. And so God has grace and forgiveness for all of us, wherever we are uh, on this journey.